Welcome to the pulpit ministry of Christ Community Church in South Florida, aiming to make, mature, and multiply disciples by preaching and teaching God's Word based on the sufficiency of Scripture. And now, let's join our preacher for the message. Typically, when we have a sermon on giving, a lot of times it ends up being, to me, in my opinion, very focused on the end result, which is the giving part, and or on the person who does the giving, on on givers, on us as the body of Christ. So for the first part of this message, I just want to focus on what this is really, 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 really all about, which is where the text ends anyway, as we're going through, uh, Pastor Bernie was reading through the text, I was yet again reminded um, what this is all about. The first point of this message is that God gives. In James chapter 1, verse 17, if you want to turn there, James chapter 1, verse 17, the ladies just studied this passage um, this past uh, Tuesday. They're in James, which is a fantastic book, um, written to the church and addresses many issues and and this, just, this falls in the context after he's discussed wisdom and talked about sin. It says in James 1.17, Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits. Of his creatures. God is the one who gives. I like the way that James, if you didn't catch it, he takes it back to Genesis. And we've been going back to Genesis like, you know, the whole summer. We've been going back to Genesis and back to Genesis for this, back to Genesis for that. And James, he takes it back to Genesis. I don't know if you caught it, but when he says the father of lights, he's taking it back to Genesis. Because God is the one who gave us light. God said, let there be light. God created in the heavens, the sun and the moon and the stars. He is the father of lights. He is the one who gives us light. God gave us light. God gives life to all things. God gave us marriage. God gave us food. God gave us work to do. God gave us dominion. God gave us rules. God gave us choice. God gave us a second chance. God gave us the law. God gave us promises. God gives mercy. God gives grace. God gives strength. God gave his son. God gave us the Holy Spirit. God gives us salvation. God gives us eternal life. God gave us his word. God gives us love. God gave us the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and pastors and teachers. God gives us spiritual gifts. God gives those who believe in Jesus the name to be uh, to, the right to be called the children of God. God gives us peace. God gives us support. God gives us counsel. God gives us ear to our cry. God gave us the only name under heaven by which we must be saved. God gives us hope. God gives us the victory. God gives justice. God gives the spirit without measure. God gives us rewards. God gave himself a ransom for all. God gives grace to the humble. God gives us understanding. God gives wisdom. God gives us more grace. God gives. And so that is the focus of this message. To start off with, 
Not the money in your pocket, not the things at your house, not your time, and not your talent. Although we're going to talk about that. The main thing here is that God gives. Amen? And I haven't even listed everything he's given us. This is just like a summary going through scripture of all that God has given. Listen to what John the Baptist said when his disciples came and said, hey, those, those Jesus disciples, or Jesus over there baptizing, and hey, we're the baptizers. We're, we're the disciples of John the Baptist, and now he's over there baptizing people. That's the guy you baptize. John the Baptist said, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Everything that we have is from God. Everything in this room, everything in your life, everything that you have, everything Everything, your children, your car, your house, your apartment, your broken down car, your new car, whatever it is, the lack of money, a few pennies in your pocket, all of it, the riches that some of y'all may be having out there hiding, I don't know, uh, you know, and your 401k, whatever it is, all of it has been given to us. We haven't received anything that has not been given from heaven. So with that mindset, Let's, let's look at this passage, and I'm going to tell you, we're not going to go in order through the verses, because I pulled out God first and everything that talks about him. And that's what we're going to talk about first, and then we're going to talk about us. First of all, God's universal principle. This is just kind of in the word, and it's just kind of like, uh, Paul says, this is the point in the ESV. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. bountifully. Sowing seed requires trust in God. Sowing seed brings with it the reality that some of the seed you're broadcasting will not yield fruit. As in the parable of the sower, some of it was trampled under feet, some of it the birds ate, some of it fell on the rocks, the only part, uh, only a part of what was sown will find good soil and bring forth good fruit. Tempted by this reality, we might choose to sow less. But if you sow less, you will reap less. It takes trust to cast out all your seed, knowing that not all of it will return and that you will have to entrust the results to God. Think about that sowing of seed, this universal principle for us non-agricultural people. How many of you have a garden in your backyard? Yeah, like one hand, two, maybe three. I know Annabelle and Alex did some gardening, right? So we're not agriculturally minded. None of you have plowed a field and, you know, uh, toiled the, the, the soil to get it all the good stuff going. We just, we haven't done that. But when they began to sow seed, it would be broadcast out of their hand, right? They're broadcasting seed, just like the parable of sower. And not all the seed is going to fall in the perfect right place. The machines today, they sure help with that, because we got to maximize our sowing. But this is back then, and so they're, reap, they're, they're sowing in this way, knowing that some of the seed, this precious seed, that which is going to bring nourishment to your family, that which is going to get you through the difficult times, that's going to build up your storehouse, some of that seed from the moment you start sowing it is going to be lost. So the temptation, again, is to sow sparingly. 
But the truth is you have to sow bountifully in order to reap bountifully or to reap really anything worth supplying for your family at all. You can't sow seed with a closed fist. You have to open your hand up so that the seed can fly. However, some prudence and wisdom is needed or you'll dump all your seed in one spot and in one row of plowed earth. So yeah, you just can't get the seed and all right here, right? You have to broadcast it and you have to open up your hand and loosely hold that which God has given you to broadcast it and to sow it. So it requires patience. Reaping is on a clock that is not under your control. We don't, recall, we, don't, we don't control the reaping. Though in modern times, we've become pretty good at, you know, increasing the production of food. You know, we found places where you can sow all the time and reap and, you know, tear up that to- uh, soil and fill it with all kinds of chemicals and make these, these trees and these plants grow. That's not the time we're talking about. So when they would sow the seed, there was a time for sowing, and there was a time for reaping, and there was a time for nothing except for living off of that which you had sowed. So it required patience to wait on the reaping of it. So sometimes we're going to sow, and you're not going to see the results for a long while. So it requires patience. It requires a loose grip. It it requires trust in God, because this is... His principle, he built it into this. You know, my family, we're, again, we're Narnia freaks. You know, we're kind of Narnia geeks. We like the stories of Narnia. And I was talking to my daughter about this this week because in it, in the book of, in in the Narnia series, um, the author talks about the magic. And it's kind of really the law within God's creation that, that was breathed into creation, that which God writes into creation. And he's written certain things, and this is a principle he's written into the world. He's written this in for everybody. If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. It's his universal principle that he built into this world that he created when he spoke it into existence. My second point is God enables giving. Look at verse 8a. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. We serve the great I am, the all-sufficient one, the creator of all. He is the one who enables us to abound in every good work. He has the abounding grace. He is the source of our living. So the focus, again, is on the Lord. It reminds me of the five loaves and the two fish. From the perspective of the disciples, it was not sufficient. But in the hands of God, it was more than enough to feed the multitude. He gives us more than we need to accomplish every work He has for us to do. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should what? Come on, this was a memory verse, guys. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
this whole aspect of giving that we're discussing today was created by the giver so that you would practice giving. That's, that's his design. He has, he has giving opportunities for you that he created beforehand that you should walk and that I should walk in them. Thirdly, God supplies and multiplies. God supplies and multiplies. In verse 10, he says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. The crazy part is that when I read that passage, when I start reading it, don't you already start kind of getting the heebie-jeebies a little bit? You're kind of reading through it. It ends with righteousness, thank God, because if it said something else, it would, have been, it would be terrifying. God is the one who supplies, and he will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest. Because of all that has, that has taken place in the name of Christ by those who are, in my opinion, charlatans, these types of phrases, these types of words sound a little bit icky because you think it's going to end up with, for you, he will so multiply and he will supply and multiply a harvest for you so that you can be blessed and that you can have a big house and have a big car. So it's, this, it's kind of messed with God's word. But God is the one who supplies he is the source. So everything, like we've already, we've already mentioned, He is the source of everything that you need. Everything that you have has come from Him. He has given it to you for good works that He prepared beforehand. He gets the glory from the start, from the seed, to the finish, the bread on the table. All of it. He provided the seed for the plant to make the wheat and the flour, and He gets the credit for it all. God is the one who supplies. It's all from God. The beginning product and the end product. Again, this is kind of that, another kind of back to Genesis moment from Paul. In Genesis 1.11, it says, And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth, and it was so. So from the beginning, God has been saying, I am the one who provides for you. I am the giver. I've given you these trees, and they're going to give you seed. And that seed is going to give you another tree, which is going to give you fruit, which is going to give you more seed. And it's going to continue to do what I designed it to do. I supply your needs. I supply the seeds. For my artsy-fartsy people in the audience today, I'm, a, I'm an artsy-fartsy guy. You know, it's like my family, my entire family's artsy-fartsy. You know, where artsy-fartsy means, yeah, we don't do sports. We rarely watch anything except for the Olympics, maybe the Super Bowl, the World Series, something like that. You can ask us any kind of sports question. We have no idea, no sports statistics. If we play Trivial Pursuit, we're going to lose in the sports section. We'll have to ask Bernie or David or somebody to jump in with us. We're artsy-fartsy people. 
And then you have other artsy people in here, like I think of Brianna, my sister over there, who's artsy and likes Disney World. And we have a lot of people like India and Talia who, uh, who work as well in the arts. And, and get this word that I found when I was looking up this word supply. It only happens here. So my, art, my arts people, listen up, listen to this. It tripped me out. He is, the, he is that word supply, Choreogus. He is the producer or the financer of the show. That word choreagus there is the same word that we get choreography from. It comes from that Greek um, background of the art. He is the leader in the chorus. He is the leader in the dance. God is running the show. This is his show. This is his dance we're dancing. This is his song we're singing. He wrote the music, he gave us the notes, and he's leading us how to sing it, when to, what moves to make. He's the choreographer of all that you see. He is the supplier. All of this, all that you see around you, in this room, outside, because not even that which we have made have we made instantaneously. We have used his resources to make it. He gets the glory. He is the choreographer. So he's the supplier, and then Paul says, but he's more than a supplier. He's a multiplier. He doesn't just supply one time. What he supplies, multiplies. You know, I was thinking about how you have this one little seed, right? I have a mango seed. Mango seeds are big. Have you all been blessed this summer? Some of us, are, we've been able to bring some mangoes here. Brothers and sisters make smoothies. and You know, they've been blessed by this wonderful harvest we've had. Alex uh, Garcia basically lived off mangoes for about a month. <laughs> that tree came from one seed. That tree has brought forth a bounty of fruit, which all have one seed. I threw away about... 200 pounds of mangoes that never came to their maturity. Don't worry, sister. It's not blasphemy. <laughs> they were the little ones. They fell off too soon. They were premature and they died. Anyway, so they had to be thrown away. They were rotting on the ground. But all that, all that seed, all those fruits, they came from one seed. God doesn't just supply seed. He supplies multiplication. He's the multiplier. You want to know if God's in things. He's the original multiplier. He is. Math only shows off God. But he takes one and he makes many. So he, he takes the little bit, he takes one seed, and he can multiply it. Again, ooh, oh, let me tell you. I was, I, one time I was at a... I was asked to lead worship in a church and, um, when we were at Mammy Lakes. And, um, you know, we, a brother from work asked if I would come out and lead worship at a, a marriage conference. And so we went out with the praise team and we led. And, and it was a lovely time, let me tell you. There was no screen, you know. Uh, we sang the song one time and they learned it right then and there and sang with us. It was, it was awesome. 
But at the end of the service, there was this offering time and this whole seed business. You know, giving your seed offering. And it was, let me tell you, talk about going against this word. It was, it was coercion. It was basically, we're going to come down the aisle and we're going to stop row by row. We're calling you all up here, in fact. Just everybody come up and give your seed offering. So again, that kind of stuff has ruined the glory of God. Because God said, I gave you the seed and I'm going to multiply it. And sometimes, yeah, it is true. There is that truth of it that when you, the offering that you give, that which you give is just a small seed. But God takes it and he multiplies it. And not just financially, just in many ways in the lives that it impacts and it touches. When you give, it really does impact more than just this, an offering plate. You know, just as an example, when you give at CCC, there's missionaries who are on the mission field. It's multiplying there. It's reaching out that. It reaches out into um, the ministry that we do on the sidewalk counseling. You know what I'm saying? It's, it reaches out to Cuba. So it does multiply in that sense. It's just this business of it multiplying for our glory or our sake is totally, is total blasphemy. And, and it's really missing, misses the focus. But God takes, he supplies, and God multiplies. And then it says this phrase here, my, my fourth point, God loves. God loves a cheerful giver. So I'm going to give you a little pop quiz real quick. Uh, make sure you're still awake at this point. For God so the world that he gave, right? We love because he first loved us. But God shows his for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Many different tenses of the word love. So loved, God love. This God loves Go home. Put it in quotes in your Bible gateway. It's going to come up one time in the New Testament. Some translations, it'll come up in Deuteronomy. Some translations, it won't come up anywhere except for right here. When somebody says the phrase God loves, the automatic is a cheerful giver. That's the, that's the only, other, only time you find it in Scripture. God loves a cheerful giver. If you Google it, First answer, God loves you, and then God loves a cheerful giver. So even Google is kind of pretty much on track on that. Why does God love a cheerful giver? Have you ever asked yourself, why does God love a cheerful giver? He could love anything about you. He didn't say, it doesn't say God loves a cheerful praiser. God loves a cheerful, you know, server. It says God loves a cheerful giver. The reason I think God loves that is because that's who he is. And when you give like God gives, cheerfully, hilariously, I mean, I was reading Genesis again this week a little bit different because, you know, sometimes we'll read Genesis like this, you know, God said, let there be light, and there was light, you know, blah, blah, you know, we changed the voice, and I was thinking, God was like, 
let there be light, like with joy, <laughs> hilariously, and, 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 you know, let there be a, 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 an expanse and a division in the expanse, and let there be a creeping and crawling things, and let it be, not let there be, da-da-da. But just like, I think God was creating with joy and he, was, and he gives to us with joy because he's giving so much all the time. And he loves when he sees his children reflect him in that regard. When they give with joy. It says God loves a cheerful giver. Y'all be good, good Bereans and go home and see if it says God loves anything or anyone else like it says cheerful giver. So now we've, we've been focusing on God and the fact that he, he is the one who gives, he supplies, he multiplies what God loves. If you want to know what God loves, if you want to do what God loves, here it is. Oh, I, would not, I want to know what God's will is, and there's plenty of other things that talk about the will of God. If you want to do something or be someone that God loves, there it is. Be a cheerful giver. Second part of the sermon, we give. We give. The giver's heart, verse 7a, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. As he has decided or he has purposed in his heart. In other words, this is not a decision that has been arrived at flippantly. So this isn't just like, eh, I'll just throw in 50 cents and I'll just give this. Or, you know, this and, 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 and in this passage, we're talking about financial giving, honestly. We're talking about a need that was met, that needed to be met, that the Corinthians said they would meet. And in and, and, He's saying he has decided, he had purposed in his heart. It's not something that's done flippantly, like it doesn't matter because God loves a cheerful giver. So it's got to matter if it's something that God loves. This is something that we're to give thought to, prayer to, and spiritual discernment to. So that you can make a decision with your heart and with a, with a heart that's been, that's been guided by God's word and by his truth and by his spirit. We don't just arrive to that place and we don't ever just give this and never consider else, you know, what else we're going to uh, give to the Lord and to his work. In your giving, just like every as other aspect of your life, it's something that you've got to come back and take a look at again and put it under the microscope of God's word and open up and, and, and talk to the Lord about it so that he can do his work in your heart for you to accomplish the work that he has for you before, that he created beforehand. We will spend more time thinking about our participation or non-participation in great areas of our life and give little thought and prayer to what we are able to give to the work of the Lord of loving him and loving people. So I've been here now nine years at, at CCC. I got to tell you, I've been asked a lot of questions about a lot of topics, about a lot of things in the Christian walk, and the Christian life. There's only one brother in nine years who's ever asked me about giving. Nine years of ministry, I've talked to plenty of men about sexual temptation, what to do, 
struggles with this, struggles with that, who to marry, who not to marry, should we marry? Only one brother in nine years has ever asked me about giving how much, how little, when, what's, what's the deal with that tithe, you know, what's up with that, where, where is that in the Bible? I find that a bit peculiar. Either that or we all got it down pat. And y'all don't need to ask any questions on giving. At least not Pastor George. Um, but this is one of those areas that, that we, we struggle with. That we forget who, who is giving us all that we need and, and trusting Him with it. It does not say each one should give as he has purposed in his budget or in his head. It says his heart. This is heart business. This giving thing is is heart business, and God knows it's heart business because we know it's heart business. We know how much that change in the pocket means to us and how hard, it's to let, how hard it is to let it go sometimes and let it flow to somebody else. He knows that it's a heart issue. This is deeper than a budgetary question. This is a spiritual issue that we have to pray and ask God about. This is a heart-revealing action. For where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. We can't get away from God's Word again as I said, the topic has been abused. Let me tell you, you want to know who asked me about giving? The unsaved. Anytime I talk about church or bring up church, one of the first, what do you think about those guys in that million dollar mansion with the big, with the five Mercedes Benz? And why should they be living in that giant mansion, the big house, and you got all these people starving? What's up with those Christians? One of the first things we always talk about is money because they know that offering plate's going to go around at the, at the end of the service. And they see the abuse. They see what's been done supposedly in God's name. And I tell them, you're right. Did you know that Jesus didn't have a home, a place to, a place to lay his head? That he slept on a mountain? That his apostles never had a mansion or a Mercedes-Benz? Or at least not a chariot. That they struggled? That the early church was in catacombs that were hiding out underneath Rome? That they were not rich and blessed? And they're the ones that all of this is built upon? God built the church on the foundation and the shoulders of those men? who never had anything like that, and now we have people running around being called apostles, and they're living in the big old house. For where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. When I say it's a heart issue, it's this. When it comes to giving, whether it's of our time, our talent, or our treasure. And we're mostly talking about treasure today in in this passage, to be honest with you. The reason it's a heart issue is because if you put it down on paper and you take a look at it, where your money goes is going to tell you where your treasure's at. 
So the reason it's a heart issue and the reason it's a heart check is because every once in a while, we need to take out a piece of paper and write down where our heart's at. Take a look. God, search my heart. Know me today. Show me if I have strayed in my love for you. What am I, where, what am I treasuring? Where is my treasure? That's why it's heart business. It's not just your pocket business. It's not just finance business. This is heart business. It says in this passage that the giver is not to give reluctantly. Not out of sorrow is the word, or pain, or grief, or annoyance, or affliction. This is completely in contrast. It says in contrast to cheerfully, joyfully, hilarious. He's not supposed to do it in sorrow. Oh, man, here comes the offering plate again. i got to put it in the check. Or you got your, you, the check came in. It's like, oh, Lord, I don't know, you know, if we can give this, this week, you know, uh, or you give it, oh, here it goes. And, you know, Lord, we're hurting here, and we got to give this offering. You know, he doesn't want to hear that. He wants to hear cheerful giving because he don't give to you reluctantly. He didn't give you that list of things, the very breath of your life. He didn't give it to you reluctantly. He gave it to you with joy and gladness. So when you give back, he wants to see that it's with joy, not out of reluctance, not out of sorrow, not out of any kind of complaining. Brother Alex sent me this little article this week, and I'm just going to read a little section from Chuck Bentley's article. Check this out. Everybody listen up, please. Since we have four boys, especially my children because they're French fry eaters, uh, since we have four boys, I can recall taking them to a fast food place for hamburgers and fries. It gave me, the father, great pleasure to get them a large cheeseburger with hot French fries. On more than one occasion, since I did not order fries, I would reach across the table to take one of the boys' fries before they were all gone. Almost instantly, one of the boys would say, hey, Dad, that's mine. He had, gotten, he had forgotten that I had provided the burgers and every single fry on the table, all of them. He had also forgotten that I could provide all the fries he likely would ever be interested in eating. These became teaching moments for our boys. He says they since, have since become better at sharing their fries. But do you get the moral of the story? We don't come to God and give reluctantly. He gave you all the french fries on your plate. And he's not even asking you for all the french fries. He didn't say, give me all the french fries. But he's asking for some, and he's asking for enough to check your heart. To see if you're in love with the french fry or the one God's case, the one who made the potato that makes the french fry and even buy the fry. So not reluctantly, not with, huh, that's mine, you know, and holding it back and you know, giving it, ripping it out of your hand to give it. Not under compulsion, it says. Not un, uh, under or for necessity in, what, in that you need to do this. Not out of the kind of this duty. Well, here's my duty. I'm going to give my offering. It's offering time, everybody. You know, 
write out your check, you know, dutifully do what you're supposed to do. God's not looking for dutifully givers. It doesn't say God loves the dutiful giver. It says he loves the cheerful giver. So he's, again, he's looking at your heart. He's looking for more than just this giving. And I'm, I'm not even saying any of this. You know, again, icky moments. You're a pastor at a church, and you got to talk about giving because in today's world, it has been so abused. It's almost like, I, I know inside of here, in somebody's heart, they're like, mm-hmm, they're looking for some more money because whatever it might be. I get it. I understand. You know what? I was a part of two churches that had a building program. I will never, well, let me not say that. I can't say that. I would have to have a serious heart surgery in check. Let me rephrase myself, not say never because God's in control. I would have to have serious heart surgery for somebody to tell me, we're going to have a building program, and for me to give to the building program, to be honest with you. Because two times that's happened. And we had the big building program, you know, guy come in and he told us all the things that we needed to do to have a building program and the big show and the giving thing and all that you're going to give and, you know, la, 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 wrap them, get them all psyched up about it. And we're going to have the building program service and then everybody's going to come and give their pledge to what they're going to give to the building program. That got me like grossed out. I don't want to have a building program. Now, if God desires that, then we will. But the point is that this, these things have been abused and has, has, have tainted us. Some of us in this room have come from different places before coming to CCC. Some of you have been abused in this area. Some of you have been abused in this area. Some of you have been under abusive pastors who have taken God's Word and have shaped it to fit what they wanted it to say. Some people have written into the New Testament the tithe. I grew up tithing. It wasn't until I was in my 20s that I found out that in the Scripture, the tithe, if you really study it, ain't even 10%. It's like 23 and a third percent in the Old Testament. If you're going to use it, because you can't find it in the New Testament. If you're going to talk about tithe, well, then bust out the 23 and a third by the end of it all. But we'll just do the 10. Because we won't ask for too much. Just 10%. And we'll, tell you, we'll talk to you about this tithe all the time. And, and at the same time, I'm not, I'm not angry about what I learned as a child. I don't think it came from an abusive part from my pastor. I think it was just kind of like he, this is what he had been taught. And this is what he had passed down. And it taught me to give. And it gave me some, uh, some amount in my mind that I could give, or that I should give in a sense at that time. But sometimes it's, it's this abuse that we've gone through that kind of taints us. And so we come in and we dutifully do the giving. We give dutifully because, anyway, George, Pastor George just preached on giving, so now we got to give. He's not looking for that. Again, this is heart surgery. This is heart stuff. This is not just about a pocketbook or a wallet. In Genesis 4, 3 through 4. Go to Genesis 4, 3 through 4, so I can make sure your hands are still moving and your minds are still engaged and we're all here. Genesis 4, 3 through 4. 
just like the very first recorded I can think I can, that I can think of, we could have done the we were doing all the first, we could have given, we could have done the first offering. Look at three, it says, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering. Well, then, you know what? Let's go back one. Chapter, verse 2, and again, she bore uh, her, his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of what? And Cain was a worker of the? Two different professions. Two different, two different financial source streams. It doesn't say that uh, Cain had sheep. He was working the ground. And the brother was keeping the sheep. They had two different commodities. Two different goods. This is pre-coin, pre-paper. In the course of time, Cain uh, brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. An offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Here you go. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. My feeling, you know, my gut as I read this scripture time after time and again has been that two people brought an offering to the Lord. One gave his first. That would have been like me bringing y'all the first mango that fell off the tree. Let me tell you, I wasn't going to bring you the first mango that fell off the tree. I've been waiting like four or five months for the mango to be ripe. The first one that fell off the tree, we're going to eat the mango. Not Alex, we're going to eat it. So this is, the, here's, here's the, the lamb has been pregnant. Lamb's been pregnant. I don't know how long it takes for a lamb to give birth. Let's say nine months just like us. Nine months waiting for the baby lamb to come. The baby lamb comes out. That's the first lamb. Do you? He did not withhold his first. He gave the first one. There was no guarantee there was going to be a second one. Not in his hand. He had no control over the second or the third or the fourth. He gave the first. Abel, he gave, a, he gave a fruit offering. And I don't think there was anything wrong with the fruit offering, to be honest with you. I just don't think he gave his first mango. He was like us. He was greedy. I think if he, he would have gotten, this is me. This is George, you know. This is no scholarly translation, biblical, you know. I can't, nobody can anyway. This is me. My gist has always been, if it would have said he gave of his first fruits, kind of like we're supposed to be kind of first fruits, if he had given of his first fruits, I think it would have been different. But I think he gave, but he didn't give of his first. He withheld his first, and he brought an offering. But he didn't give his first. It says the brother brought the first. And God had regard for that. He respected it. Is that, that word can mean respect. It's kind of like God loves a cheerful giver. You want to see God loves a cheerful giver? God loves a cheerful giver. First lamb. That one's for God, the provider, the supplier, the multiplier. I'm going to give him my first lamb because he's worthy of it. He deserves it. He's given me all that I have. I'm going to give him the first one. Cain's like, I'm going to give him like the sixth corn on the cob. I'm not giving him the first corn on the cob. And he was angry. 
You see where his heart was at? He wasn't sorrowful that God had no regard. He was angry. So this is not duty, because Cain was doing his duty. But God sees the what? God sees our heart, y'all. Scary stuff. The last thing is this, this, this giver is cheerful. He's merry. He's hilarious. Have you guys seen, um, great, uh, the Christmas Carol with, with Scrooge? He gets visited by some, he gets visited by some ghosts. All right, y'all, I'm trying to keep y'all awake. He gets visited by some ghosts. The ghost of Christmas. The one from present. That's joyous. That's hilarious giving. I mean, it's annoying how much the guy is laughing. I don't know if you've seen the, the, the latest one, but it's ha 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 for like everything out of his mouth. It's just like he won't stop laughing. I thought, you know who was like that? Santa Claus. What does Santa Claus do? And let me tell you, y'all, don't, 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 don't hang on Santa Claus. Santa Claus comes from a saint. What does Santa Claus do? He ho ho hoes. He's, is he grumpy old St. Nicholas? Oh, that's the saint. He's not grumpy old St. Nicholas. He's jolly old St. Nicholas. And what does he do? He gives. He doesn't come into the house to take. He comes into the house to give. That is a cheerful giver. Be Santa Claus. That's what he's looking for. Santa Claus giving you. Be like him. Ho, ho, ho when you give your stuff. You know who else is Santa Claus? We have a Santa Claus in the church. Denora. Santa Claus. You go to Cuba with Denora? Yeah. We brought, let's see, eight people, eight people, uh, 100 pounds each, 800 pounds of stuff off the plane. We walk in through the door with our Christmas bags. We didn't know they were Christmas bags. We thought they were ministry bags. But in, in Denora's mind, they're Christmas bags. We walk in with the big Christmas bag. We lay them down. Santa Claus is already at work. We just got the Cuba. She's like, here, y'all need this. Y'all need... She just, she wants to give it all the way on day one. I'm like, I would have to take Denora on the side. Denora, sister Denora, we got to do this differently. We got to lay it at the apostles' feet. You know, the leaders of the church, they're going to take care of it. But she's Santa Claus. That, she's full of joy. She wants to give it all away, like, rápido. That's cheerful giving. Man, all that we could give that way. Okay, the giver's impact. The giver's impact, verses 8 and 9. And don't, okay, so we talked about your, the heart behind it, the cheerful heart behind it, what God desires from us, that God is the supplier and the multiplier, that it's all his anyway. And then he lets us have impact. He says, so that in 8b through 9, so that having all sufficiency, that's you having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Who's, who's that he? Huh? My brother says men. What do y'all say that he is? We got God and man. Go to Psalm 112. We're going to find out who's right. Psalm 
Psalm 112. Check this out. Psalm 112. Sorry for all the Carol City, but when I start preaching, sometimes Carol City comes out. Psalm 112. Everybody there? Okay. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commands. That's the key. Look at verse 9. He, the man who fears the Lord, ER gets the, the extra cookie today. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. I have read in the scripture many times that God's righteousness endures forever. This man's righteous act has an eternal impact, has eternal value. Do you all know that you wouldn't be sitting in this church right now if some other brothers and sisters hadn't given money to the Southern Baptist Convention so that they would give Pastor Bernie the money so that Bernie could plant this church so that you could be sitting here today hearing God's word and singing worship? Somebody else gave. Their lives and their gift has Righteousness is working righteousness right now in you, in this place, is working in what God says is right. So we have an opportunity to have an impact that way. When we work together with God, then what he has called out from eternity for us to do, we do that, we complete it, we pass that on to the next, whatever work it's going to do, whatever he has designed for it to do. So, he gives, this man gives freely without compulsion. Nobody's twisting his arm. He's given it freely. He's given to the poor. He, he gives to those uh, who have nothing, who have nothing to give him in return. But they will thank God. They will thank God. And he has eternally, his righteousness endures forever. This man's right acts endure forever. Who knows? We may be the beneficiaries of this man's good work right now that he did for the Lord. These righteous works uh, that were prepared be, uh, by God before him will have enduring eternal impact from where they were born. They came from eternity past. They will have impact into eternity. Amen? The giver... The last point about the giver, the giver gets to give. Not that he has the opportunity to give, but he gets, he receives to give. He gets to give. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. You know, again, you hear that, you will be enriched. Ooh, so many times you hear that today. You're going to be rich, you're going to be blessed. You give it, and you're going to receive this boatload of blessing, and you're just, you know... It says that you will be enriched in every way to be what? To be generous in every way. You're not going to be enriched for you. Not so that you can put a license plate tag on your car covered with gold and gold letters on a silver plate that says, I'm blessed. That's not what it's for. It's not for you to be blessed. It's for you to be a blessing. For you to do what God does, to give like he gives, to be generous. The list at the beginning that we read, 
That is a generous God. He gives, he gives, he gives, he gives, he gives. He doesn't stop giving. He's generous in every way. These are the different ways that I think that we give, and we mentioned them a little bit before. We give from our time, our talent, and from our treasures. And I'm going to say that those three things, you don't always have them in equal supply in your life at different times. You don't have them at equal supply at all times. It's like everything else in life. They fluctuate. Sometimes you have more time. Sometimes you got more treasure. Sometimes you have more talent or you've increased in talent. So those things will fluctuate. But nonetheless, it says in every way, and those are the three ways that we have. Those are the resources that you've been giving, time, talent, and treasure. Time, is time not your greatest resource? Do we, do we all need more time to do all that we have to do in one day? Or is everybody here just retired, 65, living, you know, collecting seashells? No. Time is a huge resource, an important aspect of our lives. And again, sometimes you'll have more of that to give, but nonetheless, he's asked you to be generous with your time toward his work, wherever he's calling you to do that. I don't know where that is. That's individual. Thank God I don't have to delineate that for you. But ask God, where do I need to invest my time, more of my time, be generous with my time toward you? Talents, he's giving you, he's giving you certain talents. Uh, some talents that are born in you, some talents in, in this regard too, spiritual gifts. The Lord has given us all spiritual gifts to be used to be utilized for the work of his church. Where are you utilizing the spiritual gifts that God has given you? Where are you using the talent that he's given you? If you had to do a spreadsheet on your talent and your time, and you had to map it down, let me tell you, it gets pretty scary when you start mapping out your time. How much time I spent on YouTube, how much time I spent on Facebook, how much time I spent sleeping, how much time I spent on all this other junk. How much time did I spend with God, with God's people, doing God's work, whatever that may be, how much time did I spend on his things, on the work that he's called us to? And treasures, how much, uh, again, evaluating how much of what he has given us are we giving. And I'm not saying give it all to CCC. I'm not saying that. I'm, you, you ask God what you give to CCC. There might be other places where he wants you to, 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 to give as well, but I'm going to tell you this very honestly. I don't personally, no. No, this is not personally. This is the first place you're, you're supposed to give. That doesn't mean that we don't help other missionaries personally, because we do. That doesn't mean you don't help a, a child that needs food around the world, because we do, and that's all good. But are you consistently supporting the work that's feeding you and that's taking care of your spiritual needs? You don't go to the missionary in Africa with your problems and with your ministry needs and for your education or your edification. You're giving to them, praise God, keep on doing that to work, to do that work over there. But the first place you have to give is the church that you belong to, whether it's CCC or not. The church that you're at, for those where your spiritual needs are being met, that's where the majority of your giving to God's work, I believe, has to go. And then secondarily to other places, that's fine and good. Now it got real quiet. All right. We're going to end with the last part, the last, uh, the last point, the goal of giving, which, you know, you should have got it from the first point. Look at verse 11, B and 12. 
which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service, get it, is not only supplying the needs of the saints. It's not just about doing, uh, supplying the needs of the saints. In this, in this context, the need of the Jerusalem saints who needed it, it wasn't just about supplying for their needs, although that's part of it. It wasn't just about that. It was about uh, having an overflowing amount of thanksgiving to God. So the first thing is, as always, your giving is to the glory of? To the glory of God. When you think about your giving, it's to the glory of God first, so that he will be thanked, so that he will be praised. And then secondly, for the caring of others. And that comes, again, in this house, in this place, in this, in this, uh, in this church, we supply for the needs of others. We supply for their discipleship. We supply uh, for their care. All that is being supplied through what we give to the work of the Lord here. So the goal of our giving, first, the glory of God, and secondly, caring for others. It reminds me of what we say at CCC, loving God and loving, yeah, loving God and loving people. It comes back to that again, and that's what Jesus said. It all comes back to that. You can hang it all on that, on, that, on those two commandments. Even giving, you can hang on that. Loving God, it shows you where your heart's at, and loving people, are you caring for others? Giving is a heart thing. It's not about your finances. It's not about you getting blessed. It's about God getting thanks. It's about your ten little, you know, when we take the little benevolent love offering, I'll say little. But you know, we take up the benevolent love offering one time a month. Maybe you only put ten bucks in. Maybe you only put five bucks in. I don't know. I don't want to know. Two, three months later, there's a family that needs to pay the rent. We go to the Benevolent Love Offering, and we take the rent from the Benevolent Love Offering. All you gave was five or ten bucks, but you just paid somebody's rent. So it might seem like something insignificant to you, but to the family that's being blessed, the family that's under the pressure of paying the rent and they don't have the money to pay the rent, you just gave them the ability to breathe again and to give thanks to God for what he did because it was all his anyway. So don't be cheap with your french fries. <laughs> anyway, the, the truth is this whole giving thing, it's really about the Lord it's really about his glory, about thanksgiving to God. It's just a place where God examines us again. That he just kind of shines a little light in our heart. And he's like, what's in there, guys? What's going on in your heart? What are you holding on to? Are you holding on to the French fries or you're holding on to me who made the French fries? Do you think I don't have any more French fries for you? You don't think I can give you more French fries? You think you're controlling French fry production in the United States? That's how silly we seem when we hold on to the French fry. That's how silly we seem before the Lord. He wants you to get the French fries and cast them out and give them and not care. And like, God's got me. He's got more French fries for me. Let's close in prayer.
Father, we give You thanks, Lord, because You are the giver of all good things, Lord, that nothing has come to us, Lord, that You have not supplied from heaven, Father. And Lord, sometimes we get that, as we say today, we get it twisted, Lord. And we think that because we went and we worked 40 hours a week and we got paid, that it's ours. And we forget, Lord, that you supplied us with the health to go to work, to get paid. That you supplied us with the breath of life to, draw, to go there and to get paid, Father God. That you supplied us with the job, Lord. That you have supplied us with the work ethic that gives us a place uh, of recognition and hard working, Lord, that you taught us those valleys, Lord, to work hard, to labor heartily as unto you. You said that, Lord. We didn't come up with that, Father God. Not even that hard working ethic. We didn't create it. You created it. Lord, everything is from you, Lord. God, I pray that you would examine my heart and every other heart, Lord, that we would we would check ourselves, Lord, and see where our giving is coming from. If it's a place of fear, or if it's a place of joy and cheer and knowing, Lord, that you are the supplier and the multiplier, Father God. I pray that no one would give out a compulsion, Lord, but that they would lead, they would only give as your spirit leads, Lord, in their giving, that whatever they're giving, whether whether it's their treasure, their talents, or their time, Lord that what they give, Lord, and what I give, Lord, is not out of duty, it's not out of grumbling, but that we would do it joyfully, Lord, so that we would do what you love, that we would give cheerfully, Lord, that we could bring a smile to your face, that we could bring you the satisfaction of loving us, Lord, for being like you, Father God. Help us, Lord, to be your children, to be the sons and daughters of God, in our giving, Lord. And thank you, Father, for the generous hearts that you have placed in in our brothers and sisters in Christ here at CCC, Father. Thank you for the generosity of a small congregation, Lord, that that steps up, Lord, and and listens to your word and, and tries, Lord, to live by your word, Father God. We bless your name. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ Community Church is a God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, and Bible-centered body of believers who love God and love people by making disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information on our ministry, please visit our website at www.christcomchurch.org. That's christcomchurch.org. 